When 2019 began, hemp was an attractive investment that was touted as the cash crop to replace tobacco. However, many who invested in the crop and the hopes of its promising potential are now regretting the decision. We're going to discuss how hemp has failed to deliver and causing lawsuits in its wake. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Mystery Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins, and with me is County Reporter Jacob Mulliken, who's been covering a lot of the policy and legal sides of hemp. And I've covered the production side, so we have some insight about how we got to this point that, you know, if you're a farmer right now who's either grown it or thinking about growing it now here in Kentucky, I think you'd have to ask yourself, is it worth it? And so as hemp burst on the horizon in this space that really fit pretty nicely with our tobacco production model, small acreage, relatively small scale, easy entry, the promise of lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Come on, grow it. Come on, you, you can grow it. Come on, you can grow it. We'll teach you how. It's easy. Got a great market out here for it. No problems. Yeah, here's a contract. Take the contract. We promise. We promise. Now understand what I've just described for you. I've described a home that is rather cool and it needed some heat. These farmers needed to see an opportunity. They needed to heat the home that they've invested their lives in. We call them farms. And this sudden source of new heat had popped on the horizon, giving them a chance giving them a chance. And instead, in some cases, this is going to burn the house down. Those that know me know that I don't use words like these very often. I'm behind the farm store counter with farmers coming in telling me they can't pay for their inputs for last year because they can't sell their hemp crop. This is personal to me. But more importantly, this is devastating to these families. And what it does long term, and, and I'm not directing these words of anger, Commissioner, at you. You and I have talked about this multiple times. We spoke this morning about it. These words aren't directed at you. But those in the industry need to understand the damage that they've done to the credibility of this industry for years and years and years to come. Look, people are talking about worms again. They're saying this is, these are the next worms. I don't think that. I hope that's not the case. But the credibility and the damage done to this industry is something that this industry is going to have to find its way forward on, or it may not. It may be the next worm pyramid game. I sure hope it's not. All right, Jacob. You just heard State Senator David Givens. Uh, he was part of this uh, hearing over this particular hemp bill, House Bill 236, which actually had nothing has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, th- this hemp bill, it is a hemp bill, and House Bill 30, House Bill 236 is one of those kind of turn of the screw kind of bills, and it expands the number of qualified laboratories t- authorized to test the state's hemp crop for THC. So he did talk about the larger point of what we're getting into during this uh, or during that hearing. 
So I wanted to just bring that to light because he was talking with Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles, and you could hear Givens' frustration with hemp right now and how it's not faring well here in the state. You have written extensively over the process, uh, the policy process, the legal aspect of it. I've covered it from the production side of it. So we both have pretty good insight on on hemp and its genesis and how we've gotten to this point where right now there it, it's, it's pretty flawed in the processors and, and flawed in the how do they how do they keep the THC levels low enough and, and we can discuss how they're how they're trying to um, solve that problem but right now this past year's crop it was coming back too hot essentially above the 0.03 percent so those are the two problems right now that we have it, the processor and the THC levels and and right now farmers are having a tough go at it and and Givens really spoke to this larger point that hemp right now is not where you want to invest at least at this point. So talk about you know the how we got here the genesis of of the hemp industry and and how do we get to where we are now which is where you have farmers losing large sums of money in their investments and in some cases maybe even their retirement uh, and savings we know in 2014 um, the in the 2014 farm bill that's when the research for hemp really started so that time between then and the 2018 Farm Bill, which brought in the first legal year of industrialized hemp nationwide, there was ample opportunity to create markets. Um, I, what Kentucky's run into, and really shore up policy for the eventual legalization, what Kentucky's really run into from what I've gotten from the farmers and speaking to different state legislatures, legislators is the fact that it was kind of a cart before the horse plan. So farmers in this first year in Kentucky gave over 1,200 licenses to experienced farmers, inexperienced farmers, people that pass kind of their stringent uh, requirements. However, none of those requirements existed for processors. And so you had a lot of processors uh, here in our own backyard, the $69 million lawsuit going on between the original owners of Bluegrass Bioextracts and DTEC Ventures out of Reno, Nevada. Uh, Louisville-based Gencana just filed for bankruptcy today. So a lot of these big processors that were making promises towards uh, $4 per CBD point per pound here on the Owensboro level with bluegrass to these farmers to Gencana claiming to do the next thing above CBD with CBG and THC-less strains of CBD, and now these organizations are going out of business. Um, but it's also not a not just a Kentucky problem. You're seeing it nationwide. Uh, Tennessee, for instance, they had over 3,000 farmers receive licenses for hemp. One of the fundamental differences from what you see between Tennessee and what's happened here in Kentucky is Kentucky really didn't work on a legislative or law basis to open up markets. Um, I think a flaw that's kind of happened. And again, they had years to plan for this and open up markets and expand them is 
they didn't really work actively on overcoming the stigma among politicians regarding cannabis, and that has ebbed from a lot of, a lot of politicians that I've spoken to, but they also didn't look at those markets. Uh, for instance, opening up fiber, uh, livestock feed, which is still not permissible here, smokable hemp. Uh, Tennessee did close to $80 million in the smokable. Um, I actually, I wrote an article about that if smokable hemp would come here, and there's still not an appetite for it on the legislative basis. But a uh, Tennessee senator, Senator Frank Nicely, was speaking on his goal, because the consumer votes for him, was to make it as viable of a program for the consumer as possible. And his, his quote specifically was, I don't know what's wrong with Kentucky, you run a deficit all the time, and we have a surplus of a couple hundred million. Kentucky needs to look south and do what we're doing. It's important that you have something for every farmer in the long run, whether that be fiber, seed, livestock feed, or smokable hemp. And so places that have opened markets up and not just done it as a, well, hey, we're going to export because we're Kentucky and we can grow it better, are doing better. The issue that they're running into now, and again, like if you look to Kansas, <laughs> that it's an issue is there's just too much. Uh, some numbers have come out that enough hemp was grown this year for every person in the United States to have a 25 uh, milligram bottle of CBD oil. So the market's just gone into a, a stall, essentially. Well, so for several years now, what, five, six years, and they even extended the pilot program. Mm -hmm. So the pilot program is essentially the, the Kentucky does not have to fall under these USDA guidelines until it's officially out of uh, the pilot program. And you mentioned the, you know, the number of, of, of hemp growers and the number of processors. Um, so between, well, this gives you an idea. In, in 2018, there were there were 210 licensed growers uh, in the state of Kentucky. So in one year's time. That went up to over a thousand growers, and that, you know, and that had a lot to do with what the twenty eight the twenty eighteen farm bill that basically removed hemp from the federal ban of scheduled substances. So industrial hemp was part of a package of legislation within that twenty eighteen farm bill that pretty much opened this up this new well this industry back up to Kentucky and farmers and. You know, we're looking at this as, oh, you know, all these years these guys have been growing tobacco, right? And now all of a sudden they see tobacco, it's not what it used to be, and this could be a great substitute, an alternative uh, to the tobacco crop that pretty much paid for most farms in Kentucky, if not all farms. You know, it was, uh, you know, the main cash crop. You could grow it on a uh, smaller number of acres in which you can corn or, or soybeans. And, and and what seemingly nobody thought about was, yeah, they can grow it, but if you don't have anywhere to process it, all of a sudden, what's the point? And so then, then now you see, you know, they're called entrepreneurs, you know, thought they would get into the processing business. And the farmers, you know, they needed, they needed somebody to process this stuff from, and, and they saw large dollar signs. And and this is where we are now, Jacob. And, and you went out, did this story, well, about a week or so ago now, that you're talking to a large number of farmers, hemp farmers, what, 25 or so farmers, who, 
if if you read some of their uh, experiences, I, I mean, I just feel bad for them. Oh yeah, they got hosed. Um, you know, I mean, they really did. And I mean, I, to Quarrel's credit, and I, I don't think the blame falls on him. He was certainly the poster boy. But the his fellow politicians that are really running him across the rack right now, they had ample time as well to look at their own um, their their own areas, their own parts of Kentucky, and really look like, oh. This could be a good fit here. You know, we're big in livestock feed, um, what have you. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, because it was in its first year, it wasn't only a speculative market, but it was a predatory speculative market. And so a lot of these processors were able to come in. And again, this was a national thing, not just a Kentucky thing. Everybody, because at the time, there wasn't a lot of hemp. So CB, the CBD market was huge, and people were anticipating you know, a three-year bubble. The issue was, is because of that, it's like the gold rush, there's too much as opposed to, you know, obviously you, there's not a, a, an abundance of gold, but with hemp, there's too much. And we're already behind the eight ball coming into it because Canada's had it going a long time. They're into textiles already. Um, they're playing around with supplements for automotive. China's big into hemp. Trump actually just, uh, as part of his concessions with the tariffs, is trying to get China to buy some of our hemp. And they've been at it uh, way longer than us. Um, going into next year, and specifically looking at the, at the bill that you brought up, one of the pieces that's missing from that is what regulations are going to be in place for processors. Because right now, one of the, after these processors have closed down and these lawsuits have happened, they're going to, like Gencana, declare bankruptcy. And so people that have thrown in the hat, and that's a concern of these farmers with bluegrass bioextracts from that article you mentioned, if any of those companies, or LLCs, declare bankruptcy, they get nothing. But some of them are still stuck. Uh, one farmer I talked to was sitting on 36,000 pounds of biomass, which is what's created after they get the flour and everything ground up, and had to take it to Illinois to have it processed. And so some of these guys are waiting, even if they find a producer or a processor, excuse me, they have to still get it processed. Then that oil has to be sold before they see a return. Well, if you're going into the next grow season, which is rapidly approaching, well, they'll start getting their clones and looking at next year. They're not able to do that with the profits they thought they would have. And some of these guys had contracts that were um, promising upwards of $500,000 in their pockets, and they've got nothing to show for it. And see, right now, because it's not, hemp's not considered a traded commodity, so you can't, like, go online and see what it's trading for right now, like you can soybeans or cattle, uh, corn, you know, you don't know, you know, what you're getting for your money. And, and yeah, you can say, you know, the farmers, you know, they should have done more of their due diligence. They should, you know, they knew it was a risk. But out of fairness, you know, the way the the, the state was pushing this, the state agriculture quarrels, you know, they felt like, okay, he's pushing this. We we felt kind of safe to do this. Yeah, we might lose something, but maybe, you know, just we'll, we'll dabble in it. Um, but even like a small, like five acre plot, I think a farmer told me it was like ten to twelve thousand dollars per acre that that he had invested in that. So you times that by five, 
I, I mean, I know that's more money than I have in my checking account right now. So, and it's there's a lot of there's I guess there's a lot of blame to go around, and maybe you know we should have given they should have given more time to let this play out more, and you know you have and and I want to get into this because we're going to do a part two of this because I we don't have enough time to get into the lawsuit that you're talking about in detail and those farmers who were affected by this. So that's what we're going to do in part two. Um, but the genesis of this, it, it just, and like you said, they, they put the cart before the horse and, and when they talk about 200 processors in, two, in 2019, where the heck are they? Because all the ones I've heard about have gone bankrupt or they haven't fulfilled their, uh, their obligations. I mean, what have you found out by talking with the farmers, by talking to the legislators, and talking with even the people with the, I guess, the hip association? Well, I mean, they there were, for instance, uh, Tate Hall, the president of the Kentucky Hemp Industries Association. Um, you know, Tate was from the get go, and to Coral's credit, in my reporting and interviews with him, he was. He was kind of singing along the same tune as that first year doing hemp. Cannabis is a very difficult plant no matter what your experience is. Now, farmers I talked to had an easier time, others didn't. But the narrative's like, you know, this first year a lot of people are paying for an education. I think on the case of uh, corals and other politicians, that meant that, okay, crops may, your whole crop may not live. I don't think they anticipated all these processors going. But I think the important thing to remember, and a lot of farmers have brought this up to me, and I can give you a specific example, was the... uh, the controversy when canola oil was supposed to be, when canola was supposed to be the next big crop in the state, uh, there was the Georgia processor Hart Agstrong that ran, it, it did exactly what we've seen with hemp farmers where there were a lot of promises of uh, gain for the farmers. And then he ultimately couldn't pay out the contracts that he'd signed with these people. And so there's no... I mean, A, from what I've understood from it, to go with your question, this first year, there should have been a cap. <laughs> you know what I mean? It shouldn't have been the insane increase it was. And that should have probably been a national thing, but it's left to the states. But there should have been a cap in Kentucky. There should very dictated. Who can now, now Coral's made a big deal out of you know, that, that Kentucky was maybe the only or, or one of a few or states that actually licensed processors. But... You know, there, there, there still should be more vetting to me involved. You know, they talk about well, you know, we have the ability or the state, they have the ability to say no. You know, your investors, there's some, there's some red flags there, or somehow get some bonding. You know, to to back that up. Now they'll argue, well, if you're a first time uh, entrepreneur, it's pretty tough to go out and get bonding. Uh, but there's got to be a better way to to make sure that if the farmer is doing his part, you know, and then they sign these contracts and and the processor doesn't do their part, there's there's got to be something there to protect that farmer uh, in his investment, even though you can say all you want, that's a risk that they're taking. But still, there, I think, has to be some trust you know, in, in the system somewhere. Well, and that's why, you know, I don't, when I talk to the farmers, I don't look at, I, I don't look at any of this as falling on them. They're farmers. They, they know by virtue of their trade, and a lot of these guys, third, fourth, fifth generation farmers, that there's a risk. 
Um, but you had not only farmers, but you had, you know, you know, there there were people out there who were who weren't farmers decided, hey, I'm going to grow hemp because. I, you know, I see an opportunity here. So, oh yeah. And so have, that was the thing about this crop here that it, 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 it attracted everybody. Just, yeah, generational farmers and just people who had some ground and thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can make some money at this as well. And right now, not so much. No, well, and you'd see, you know, one of the interesting things in my coverage around here is that you'd see uh, third, you know, old granddad farmer walk in with his skater kid hipster. Uh, grandson with the gauges in and flannel with the manicured beard and it brought them together because you know there was kind of a sexy appeal it's like it's not weed but it's cannabis so there was kind of that cool appeal to it and that was one of the major marketing draws you know you had underground dope growers coming out and have legitimacy with skills they have and then everybody was kind of left um, in the wind Um, a lot of people I know that have made any money thus far have actually had to go like the farmer I referenced earlier have had to go out of state, but even that has become an issue because those processors that do have a good track record are filling up. And I'll tell you another issue because of how poorly it's gone. One concern going into this year was that this crop's not insured. You know, farmers can't get seasoned farmers can't get insurance like they can with their livestock or their soy or their corn, mm-hmm. so it's not insured. They couldn't get loans. Now, there were some that were able to, farmers that put mortgages on their houses, but now they're not getting paid, and those mortgage payments are coming due. This year's going to set back any kind of, like, real growth in terms of insurance of the crop, even for established farmers, um, I think, as well as people being able to get loans for it. it this coming into its second year it's going to be exactly like going into the first year again, I think, in a lot of ways. Now, here here very soon, uh, the state's going to release the number of approved uh, licenses for growers, processors, acreage, and Coral still maintains that it's going to be equal or better uh, as far as the number of farmers or people wanting to grow this than this previous year. But whenever you hear this and you know the trouble we've had here in our region, why, why, why does he think that anybody would want to invest in this right now until somehow, some way, these flaws are corrected? Well, I, I think I, there's going to be – here's what's going to happen. There's going to be the people that stay with it because eventually this crop – you talk to a lot of row crop farmers – that were a little slower. Uh, I know a few that just did two acres, but they made a lot of money doing clones. Um, tobacco farmers that had sold their tobacco plants to other farmers, that was an easy um, that was an easy transition. But eventually, CBD is going to be a non sequitur. Um, a lot of these guys are looking for when fiber and seed come into play because it'll be a row crop, very much like um, soy or corn or any of that. Um, I think what's going to happen this year is that you'll have uh, maybe half. I think you could. I think if the state gets six, seven hundred, they'll be lucky. There'll be farmers that maintain their licenses so they can get them and have that track record, but won't grow. Um, there'll be farmers that'll continue to grow because they were they had set contracts with people, whoever. And I've talked to some of these that they've got a good relationship. They're set, 
And then you've got people that are just going to plumb not mess with it again. And I've, I've heard from all three sides. And, you know, I've talked to well over 100 farmers through my coverage. And I, it's <laughs> – there's no way we're going to have as many farmers uh, coming into 2020, at least in terms of acreage. People may maintain their licenses, but not that many people are going to grow. And then this issue of – and I know there's talk that the feds may – because this is a federal issue as far as the legal TAC limit allowed. Right now it's at 0.3%, and I think the thought is that the feds may agree to let it go up to 1%, especially now that you're seeing, like, legitimate marijuana, you know, come into play across the country – you know why not i guess if you if we're having legitimate marijuana you know being being smoked in denver uh in in illinois now uh so one percent on hemp is not not really that big a deal so because the farmers were fighting this too the the percentage level and if uh and under the law right now if it was hot you know over that point three they had to destroy it well, they were pretty, I mean, that, that point three, they were pretty lax. If you came in, in some instances I've heard of, you know, if, if you've got, if you came in about point four, a little under, they weren't going to destroy your crop. Because as you processed, it would drop it in this first year. Now, I mean, if you're getting up to your point six, point seven, yeah. And I knew some guys that had to have people come out and burn their stuff. Um, the belief that the the feds may bump it up to 1% is based off of, because that interim rule is not technically a rule yet. The states could have chosen to go with it or to continue the pilot program, um, which obviously we did. Part of that reason is that the USDA extended their public comment. It just ended on January 29th because the feds, as as, is kind of the case with a lot of new things, they didn't have an understanding of this crop, where I think in terms of our state government, they may have gotten duped a little bit along with the farmers in terms of who were lobbying for hemp in terms of these bigger processors that are now going bankrupt. So it's going to be interesting to see when the actual final rule from the USDA comes out because, and this is obviously the hope, but you know, people that lobby for hemp up in DC and whatnot, the hope is that to keep this industry alive, they won't hinder it because to drop the THC threshold at this point, that, that would kill it for a lot of people until the genetics can get to where the CBD content without the THC is enough to make it viable. You, you would think that the way that the state has been promoting this, they would figure out more than just CBD oil or, or the smokable hemp, like you talked about other ways that the farmers can uh, sell their crop after they have this much invested in it. Well, you know, I think a, I think, a, and I don't think it's a failure necessarily on the on the on corals or the legislature's part. But Kentucky, for so long, now I'm not counting bourbon. I mean, we provide 95% of the world's bourbon. We're we are on lock there. But they should have maybe looked to that industry a little bit because Kentucky's very used to on an agricultural aspect making, um, and you'll hear, you know, that Kentucky, uh, Kentucky proud of growing the best crops, sending out the best crops, having, you know, the best bourbon, sending that out. And I think that was the, and at this point, it seems to be a naive hope on a lot of people's levels that we're going to grow the best hemp. Well, with where the THC threshold is, that limits the percentage of what you can achieve in CBD, right? So everybody's kind of uh, across a lot of boards, now, not necessarily in the states where it's legal, they're growing kind of the same stuff in terms of its 
of its viability. Um, and again, this isn't just a state thing, it's a nationwide thing to get into automotive as using hemp fiber. That's introducing something into a very old market uh, to get into paper. As a, using hemp as opposed to timber, again, a very old market. So you're kind of seeing you, there should have been better foresight and planning between the 2014 Farm Bill and the 2018 in making those relationships, getting those different industries interested, um, and really making it a brand in terms of textiles. I mean, Lord, clothing, rope, there's hemp soap, the topicals, uh, hemp flour, uh, as a po for a gluten-free supplement for flour and the nutritional aspects, especially for livestock. I mean, that could have been a huge market, but it's not. So, I mean, there was a lot of things and a lot of footwork that needed to happen. So I, I don't think it's a dead market, but I think it's going to take a lot of work on the state end and on the national end, a lot of states to say, hey, guys, this can be a viable crop. This can be good for everybody, but there's going to be a lot of footwork on the part of the legislatures to really make these people confident and make them want to come back and take that risk again. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank County Government Reporter Jacob Mulligan for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquirer's website, Facebook, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire. <laughs>